0: Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. We are one church that meets in various locations across Greater Manchester. For more information about who we are and where we meet, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. When you think about God, when you think about what it is to relate to God... What picture do you find most helpful? Is there an image, is there a metaphor that for you relating to God is like dot, dot, dot? Just, just take a moment, just think what your answer might be. There's a whole bunch of things it might be. So you, you might be someone who says, you know, for me, the best way to think about God is like a friendship. It's like God is my absolute best friend. And thinking about that really helps me connect with him. Maybe some of you think about it more like a father relationship with a daughter or son and leaning into that is so helpful. For some of you, it might be like your boss at work and you you think about God in that way. There are lots of different pictures in the Bible and all of them give us part of the whole and together, as we see all these different ways of thinking about God, they, they give us a bigger, more complete picture. I wonder how you feel about this one. Here is a quote from Francis Chan, the American pastor, and he says, God is calling you to a passionate love relationship with himself. How does that land? Because that's another of the pictures in the Bible, isn't it? That our relationship with God is like lovers, it's like husband and wife. How does that land as you hear it? That's what I want to talk about over these four weeks. And there's one thing in the Bible, one book in the Bible that digs into this more deeply than any other. And it's a book called Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. It's a small book of romantic poetry that's wedged in the middle of your Bible. I don't know if you've ever come across it in a, like, through the Bible in a year, and you start reading it. Hang on, hang on. Uh, have I picked up the wrong book? Like, what's going on here? Is this in the Bible? And it is. It's in the Bible, so we're going to look at it. Uh, and it's pretty much in the middle of your Bible. So if you open your Bible randomly in the middle, there's a good chance you're either hitting Psalms or Isaiah because they're two massive books near the middle. But right between them, there's a few smaller books kind of wedged in between. And the Song of Songs is one of them. It's eight chapters long. And in these eight chapters, it's basically two people talking to each other, two people expressing their feelings, their love, for one another. And these two people are called you could call them the the bride and groom or you could call them the lover and the beloved. But as we read it, it's like a portal. It transports us not just into the way these two characters talk to each other and feel about each other, but it shows us something about God's love for us and the love that he's calling us to have for him in response. We know that as we read the Bible, the church is described as the bride of Christ. And that's true of us corporately, but uh, also for each of us individually, this is something that we need to engage in on a personal level. So let me just convince you, because you might think, hang on, what what, what are you doing here? You're taking this poetry between uh, a woman and a man, and you're making this about God. Why, Why are we doing that? Why are we reading it in that way? Let me just give you five reasons why I think this is a good thing to do before we dig into it. And number one is this. Throughout the Bible, marriage is a picture of God's relationship with his people, of Jesus's relationship with his church. So you can think Old Testament, you can see the way the prophets talk about Israel as like God's bride and their faithfulness or unfaithfulness to him is brought out like a bride's to her husband. You can think in the New Testament when John the Baptist shows up he compares himself to like a best man and Jesus to the groom. You can see in the letters of the New Testament so when Paul's teaching husbands and wives how to relate to one another in marriage he says this is a mystery but it's about Christ and the church. Or maybe think right to the end of The book of Revelation. At the very end of the Bible, where's it all pointing towards? It's the marriage supper of the Lamb, when the bride, the the church, will be dressed in white and Jesus will descend down, uh, Jesus will come down to marry his bride. The whole Bible picture is about the marriage of Christ and the church, and our human marriages point us to that. So when we get this book that's all about exploring the feelings and the relationships and the emotions in a marriage, that should point us beyond our own relationships. And we should learn things about God and his church. Second one is this. Throughout history, this is the way it's been read. So for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, Christian commentators, Christian interpreters would read the Song of Songs and see it as about Christ and the church. It's only in the last few decades when our society has become much less interested in spiritual things and much more interested in sexual things that people sort of, yeah, maybe we'll read it differently. But throughout history, it's always been seen this way. And even the Jewish interpreters before Christ would read it it this way. Thirdly, I mentioned it's poetry, but the kind of metaphors and images that are used in the poetry are drawn from places like the Garden of Eden, are drawn from the temple and the tabernacle, or from the Promised Land. All these places where the relationship with God has been most close, most intimate, most near, they're the kind of images that have been drawn into the poetry. That's a hint that this is meant to be invoking those relationships. Number four is that Jesus would frequently teach that all of the Old Testament is about him, that it all points to him, that it all testifies to him. So as we read this book, we shouldn't think, oh, well, this one is going to be different. This is just going to be, oh, by the way, here's some random stuff, nothing to do with Jesus, but it's all about your relationships. All of it we're expecting to point to him. And then fifthly, even the name of it, the Song of Songs, is a play on the Holy of Holies, the the most intimate part of the Tabernacle, the most intimate part, the place of the presence of God, and that rhythm of the name, Holy of Holies, Song of Songs, is picked up here. It's like this is the song of God's presence. This. Song, this book, this poetry, 60% of it is in the voice of the bride or the beloved, as she's called. 30% of it is in the voice of the groom or the lover, as he is called. And the other 10% of it uh, is either the narrator or its different friends or different characters who are commenting in and usually what you'll find if you've got it open in front of you is that the translators help us out so usually they put little subheadings telling us who is talking when they're not part of the original they are really helpful most of the time it's pretty easy to figure out but it's just helpful to see it laid out there for us and like all good poetry it works on multiple levels so you'll read it you "Yep, got it yeah i understand what this is about And then you'll read it again, but oh, oh, I've seen something new there. Oh yeah, there's a different way of reading it. There's a different way of understanding that metaphor. It works in lots of different ways. Some of them do focus us in on more human relationships. Some focus in on this relationship with God. And actually some of the ways that we read it and some of the content can seem quite evocative, even quite explicit in certain readings, but not in a crass way. It's subtle. It's tasteful the way it's done. And like poetry, let me just kind of share how we read poetry, right? When you read a poem, you don't always take everything literally. So, because someone's using a poetic image, doesn't mean we say, right, I'm just going to drag that right into the world of the literal. So, for example, in the Song of Songs there are some physical descriptions that the groom makes of the bride including things like this. Your neck is like the Tower of David. Okay, we don't take that literally. He's not trying to give us a visual picture of what she looks like. Your teeth are like pairs of sheep all lined up. You, you, You could try and draw her, but you'd end up with something that would maybe be a bit of a Picasso uh, version of a person. Because it's poetry. It's not meant to do that. What is it meant to do? It's meant to evoke feelings. It's meant to stir up emotions. It's meant to draw us in to, to what these people are feeling for one another. The other thing that we shouldn't do is make an allegory. So an allegory is where you're like there's like a secret code here. Every line means something else. And we have to figure out what they all mean. If you Google allegories for the Song of Songs, you'll find some really bizarre ones out there. So my favourite one was someone who reckons when he's talking about her breasts, that's the New Testament and the Old Testament, like, where'd you get that from? That is bonkers, isn't it? But what you are meant to do is let the passion, let the emotion, let the desire that we see here stir us and um, land with us. Reading it is an interactive experience. So one of the commentators uh, is someone called Ros Clark, who writes about it. And she says, in the song, the reader isn't some third party observer, but is a participant who is being courted. That's the experience that hopefully over these next few weeks we'll have. It's like God is courting us, like we're being romanced by the Lord, like he's trying to stir up in us a love in response for the love he's trying to, to make land with us that he has for us. Now, we're not going to read it all over the four weeks. I would encourage you, it takes about 15 minutes to read it. I'd encourage you, read it in one one second and just let it wash over you at some point in these next Few weeks, but we're just going to pick bits out of it that hit some of the key themes and so if you've got a bible or an app or something to follow along with turn to the song of songs and we're going to start at the beginning so we'll be in chapter one verse one okay the song of songs which is Solomon's and then it starts with her speaking to him let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth For your love is better than wine, your anointing oils are fragrant, your name is perfume poured out, therefore the maidens love you. Draw me after you, let us make haste, the king has brought me into his chambers. That's a pretty high-octane start, isn't it? She's not kind of easing her way into this. It's like, yep, title, song of songs, bam, what do I want? I want the kisses of his mouth. She started there, not holding back. She doesn't want a peck on the cheek. She doesn't want an awkward Christian side hug. I don't know how familiar you are with those. She wants full-on the kisses of his mouth. That's where she starts all right, we're going to get a bit more awkward now. Just, just think for a moment about kisses, right? Think about what they are. Think about how they work. And think about if you had to explain it to someone verbally, like, what is kissing? What would you say? How would you try and communicate it? Because... When I was thinking, like, how how do you put this into words? Every way of formulating this, this just sounds odd, this sounds weird, this doesn't sound like a positive thing. It doesn't sound so if an alien beamed down from outer space, like tell me about this human thing kissing, you can't you can't show me, just tell me. Like you just wouldn't be able to convey it. But we all know, right, that there's there's kind of a magic to it. There's something beyond what words can convey. We know that. In the human heart, there's hardwired a longing and a desire for, for the kiss. And the kiss is powerful. The kiss can change a relationship in a way that there is no going back. Once you've kissed someone, you, you can't get it back to how it was before. Uh, Emil Ludwig says this the decision to kiss for the first time is the most crucial in any love story. It changes the relationship of two people much more strongly than even the final surrender. Because this kiss already has within it that surrender has the power to change relationships. It also is the power of a healthy marriage. Did you know that? So the BBC did a podcast called Why Do We Kiss? And they interviewed a scientist who'd done some statistical research about marriages and what factors make a marriage healthy. And they found that the correlation between the health of a marriage with the frequency of kisses was even higher than with the frequency of sex in a healthy marriage. So, maybe in conclusion, Cher was right all along. If you want to know if he loves you so, it's in his kiss. <laughs> the kisses are powerful, so they shouldn't be undertaken carelessly and casually. We know that. Right, and the Song of Songs has as much to say about waiting as it does about giving, and we'll come onto that shortly. But isn't it interesting that this is in the Bible, like let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. We know that the Bible is profitable. We know it's all useful. We know it's breathed out by God for our benefit. So what do we do with a verse like this? What do we learn? How do we reflect on this? Obviously, it's not something we can just take literally and transplant into our relationship with God but it is about desire we we see the depth of longing that she's expressing here for her partner and that desire is i think what we're meant to draw here the dictionary merriam webster uh, would say desire is the conscious impulse towards something that promises enjoyment or satisfaction in its attainment a conscious impulse towards something that promises enjoyment or satisfaction. Isn't that how we want to relate to God, this impulse towards Him, Knowing that in God we'll find enjoyment and satisfaction. Desire propels you towards the object of your desire. That's what he's doing for the bride here. Think about how desire works. Think about how it might have worked at various times in your life, how it's drawn you in a certain direction. I remember when I was first getting to know Emma, I joined the church that she was part of. She oversaw all of the the setup teams, all of the um, kind of getting the room ready. And so as someone new to the church, oh, I want to serve, I want to get involved. My heart's very pure here. Guess which team I sign up for? I, I sign up for setup team, don't I? And then pack down. So Emma was organising um, kind of these storage shelves where everything would go. Guess who would volunteer? I, I, I can help put the stuff on the storage shelf because there's something about desire and love. Longing that draws you in the direction of the one you desire. And don't we see the same thing through the Bible, New Testament and Old Testament, the way people are just drawn to the presence of God. Think about Luke chapter seven. You've got Jesus invited to the house of a Pharisee. He's having dinner. And then a woman enters the scene. She hadn't been invited. Like no one had sent her your your RSVP to this dinner, but she's there anyway. She, She turns up because she's heard about Jesus. She's seen about Jesus. She wants to be where he is. And when she sees the way he's treated, he's not given hospitality, his feet haven't been washed. She's right there and she's getting in the thick of it. Or, or think about uh, John the Apostle. So think about the Last Supper, uh, and all of them are there. They're all eating together. And what does John do? He he rests his head on the chest of Jesus. That's quite a a thing to do, isn't it? Like uh, if I'm out with my mates having a meal, and I just like lean over and rest my head on their chest, I'm getting funny looks from them. Like what are you doing? But that's what John does. And you might think, well, wasn't that just the culture of the day? Isn't that how you did it? No, it, it really wasn't. And we know this because John keeps referring to himself as, oh, by the way, this is the disciple who put his head on Jesus's chest. Like This is the one who did that thing, the, the one who's marked out from the rest. There's something about him that wants to be close to Jesus. Or maybe you think about Moses so when Moses is having that negotiation with God when the people are going to go into the promised land and God's like you know what you guys just crack on I'll stay here off you go I'll bless you with the land but I'm not going with you and Moses says no no I'm not having that if your presence isn't with me I don't want to bother I don't want to go without you because it's your presence that I desire it's your presence that I long for or maybe you think about David, who wrote the psalm, as the deer longs for those flowing streams, so my soul longs for you. Think about that, that thirst for water when you're absolutely parched. And David said, that same kind of longing is the longing I have for you. All of these have in common desire. And these verses in the Song of Songs are showing us the, the fervency, the, the intensity of desire. Charlie cleverly. He writes this, her lover's kisses are the theme of the bride's life and it's also the theme of everyone who seeks God, to know him deeply and to be known. Isn't that what we want? Now I I don't know how you're hearing this, I don't know what you're thinking about as we're looking at this image I suspect there's a mix in the room. I suspect there are some people who are thinking, yes, amen, this is so helpful, I love this. And I suspect there's some maybe finding it a little bit alien. Maybe uh, it's just taking a bit of time for this to land with you. And I've talked about this with people who would say things like, you know, I just can't imagine kissing Jesus. And You're not meant to. That's not how it works. Remember the thing about poetry being poetry and not taking it literally? That's entirely the wrong way to go. But what we are meant to to do is receive the intensity of her longing to go for the kiss and see that transformed into a longing for the closeness and presence and intimacy with God and to see he responds with the same love for you. So again, Charlie Cleverly would say this, the kiss of God is a metaphor. It's a picture painting a thousand words. We shouldn't think of kissing Jesus. That's entirely outside the boundaries of God's will. Rather, think of Christ as the kiss of God to the world. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That, That God's way of expressing his longing, his desire, his love for you, his kiss that he gives is sending his son into the world. That's so beautiful. So maybe you're thinking, okay, I get it. I'm on board. I, we've got a metaphor there. I want to do it. So how do I do this then? How do I respond to God in this way? Here's the thing, right? Kissing isn't something you need to be taught. There, there aren't classes that you can sign up for. There are no like online. Maybe there are. I haven't come across them. If you have, good luck to you. Um, no, no, don't go there. Don't go there. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Don't do that. There's no instruction about it. It's not like um, on your first kiss, you're working down a step-by-step list. So like, step one, put your lips together. <laughs> step two, lean it. You don't work down the list. It's not step-by-step. Step. It comes naturally. It comes from the heart. It comes from the desire to be close. And it's the same here when it comes to expressing our desire for God. That woman who went to the meal with the Pharisees and Jesus down, washed his feet with her tears. She wasn't working down a step by step. Here's how you get close to Jesus list. Her heart was propelling her to pour out everything she was on him. All these examples, you don't express your love for Jesus mechanically, you do it from the heart, from desire, from passion, from longing. And I learned something pretty cool as I was preparing this. One of the, the words used for, for worship in the New Testament is the Greek word proskuneo, uh, which is a compound word, it's a word that mashes together two bits. And the first bit of it, uh, the pros bit, literally means to move towards and the kineo bit literally means to kiss. Uh, and so as you mash these together, okay, maybe there are some senses about like, moving, like approaching a ruler to kiss their feet. I think that's kind of maybe the context of it. But as an illustration, isn't that beautiful? Moving towards to kiss, drawing it. You could say leaning in for the kiss might be a very kind of literal transliteration of the word that's worshipped. So how do you do it? Well, maybe this is one of the best ways that our hearts draw near in worship and we see that as the way we respond and why do we do this well she says this to her lover for your love is better than wine your love is better than wine um okay I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up but does anyone in here love wine what? okay your yeah, hands are going up anyway like no shame that's like yes just amen to that point brother um wine's a good thing I, re- I remember um just before, not the Christmas just gone, the one just before, we had a staff... Christmas lunch and Colin was cooking it, Uh, he invited us round and then in the build up to it like he he kept putting pictures in the WhatsApp group of the different wines that he bought for us and and they weren't just like kind of um, standard Tesco off the right ones, he he picked some really nice ones and you could feel the buzz of excitement just starting to build for for this meal as he uh, was showing us all these wines, in fact so much so I'm not going to name and shame but someone on the staff team did suggest we start a new wine ministry here at church it's a good thing and we know so caveat we know that it can be abused when drunk to excess and that's not good and we know that for some people it can be problematic and we want to be wise around that and yet we see in scripture the general teaching is it's given as a blessing in psalm 104 it says you bring forth wine to gladden the human heart and what This this woman's saying here is your love is even better. As good as wine is, your love is so much better than wine. Amy Bird says the good news explodes in the song. It's the best wine that we didn't know we're missing intimacy with our bridegroom. It's the wine that we're invited to intoxicate ourselves with. Think about that image, being intoxicated with the love of God that's something that moves a bit beyond kind of to-do list Christianity. It moves a bit beyond duty, doesn't it? It's like being giddy, being giddy with the love of God. There's something he might be calling us to there. And then the images go on uh, through the passage we read. There's comparisons with anointing oil and with perfume and being brought uh, brought into the chambers. There is so much. We've only done one verse, but I just want us to jump to another bit of the Song of Songs and look at that before we're done. We're going, to go into, we're going to go to chapter four. I'm going to pick it up from verse 12. And now we're picking it up with him speaking to her. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A garden locked, a fountain sealed Your channel is an orchard of pomegranates with all choicest fruits, henna with nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all chief spices, a garden fountain, a well of living water and flowing streams from Lebanon. Then it goes to her speaking. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind, blow upon my garden, that its fragrance may be wafted abroad. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. Back to him. I come to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gather my myrrh with my spice. I eat my honeycomb with my honey. I drink my wine with my milk. And then there's another voice that isn't either of them. Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. What we've just read is the consummation moment in the Song of Songs. Chapters three and four are describing the wedding between these two people. And now we see the marriage being consummated. Do you see the imagery that's there? In verse 12, she's described as a garden locked. Maybe you remember we said there's imagery from the Garden of Eden. And you remember when people had been kicked out of the Garden of Eden. There's, there's the angel there blocking the way in. That's how she's describing herself in verse 12. So he's describing her in verse 12. I'm sorry. Uh, Verse 16, though, that changes, doesn't it? And she she issues the invitation, let my beloved come to his garden. And in verse 1 of chapter 5, he accepts, I come to my garden. So we've got the garden locked, but then the invitation into the garden that he accepts. It's hard to miss the implication of what's going on there. It's hard to um, not see what it's getting at and it's interesting this verse right at the end uh, verse one eat friends drink and be drunk with love a lot of the commentators think that's the voice of God the father seeing what's happening and applauding and cheering on and it's like yes this is great I love this and this idea of being drunk with love comes on again but what I want us to see is these two pictures they the keeping and the giving the garden locked and the invitation to the garden. Because these are the two gears in a relationship. So in any relationship, there's the moment of the garden locked, and then there's the moment of the invitation into the garden. Before marriage, there's a keeping. There's a, yes, the garden is locked. But then in marriage, there's a giving, there's an invitation in. Both of these can actually be challenging in human relationships. People can struggle with either of these things and if you're in a relationship and either the the keeping or the giving is something that you're struggling with, I'd encourage you to come alongside people pastorally who can walk it through with you and help you. But today we're talking about the spiritual version of it. This bride's desire for her lover means she wants to utterly give herself to him. She's inviting him into the garden to eat its fruits. She's kept herself for him, but now it's time to give herself to him. And both of these things are part of the love relationship with God. There's a part of it, that's about keeping your heart for him. Where you say, actually, my heart's like a garden sealed. When it comes to other gods, when it comes to other practices, other things that would claim my affections, it's a no. It's, there's walls around this garden. I'm keeping my heart walled For you, God, that's an important thing to do. In fact, so often the rebuke of the prophets to Israel in the Old Testament is, you've not done this. You've not guarded your heart for God. You've been unfaithful. You've gone after other gods. You've gone after the ways of other nations. And so you've become like an adulterous bride. You've not kept your heart as you should. And in the New Testament, we see the same thing. Jesus says to one of the churches in Revelation 2, you've forsaken your first love. And yet there's also this mode of giving our hearts to God. It's not just keeping our hearts for him. And that's what we're talking about now. And I just think it's possible, isn't it, to become so set on how we keep ourselves for God. I won't do this. I won't go there. I won't let this in my life. That's all good. But do we ever get as far as giving ourselves to him, giving him our hearts? By all means, keep your hearts for him, But make sure you don't keep your heart from him. How much do we know what it is to give ourselves to the Lord, to invite him, to to, to say those words, come to your garden in our relationship with God? That's the desire of her heart. Confession time. I have struggled with this in the past. I've always been uh, sort of a bit of an activist in my mindset. And so things would happen. There'd be a prayer meeting and I'd go along to it and I'd have my big list of here's all the stuff we need to pray for. I want to see this happen. I want to see that happen. We're going after this. Let's pray into all of these things. And then someone would say something like, should we just stop? Spend a bit of time waiting on the Lord. Or should we just linger in God's presence for a bit? Ah, oh, do we have to? Do we have to do that? I shouldn't be saying this, should I, as a, as a leader in the church? But that's what's been in my head sometimes because I've missed this sense that giving my heart to God is actually way more important than all the things that I want to see achieved. It's something I've had to learn over the years that giving my heart to God and leaning in and drawing near he is of utmost importance. You know, one of the amazing truths of the gospel is that we have union with Christ. It's not just some transactional thing. He does this for you, you get the benefit of it, you do that for him. He actually draws near. You're made one with Jesus through the gospel. His very presence comes into our hearts. It is way closer, way more intimate than even this Song of Songs metaphor would suggest. He dwells in our very hearts. Love for God is not something to be scared of. Drawing near, it's not something to be afraid of. It's what we are made for. And that's the burden of the Song of Songs. That's what I'm hoping we get this morning. You know, God wants our hearts. He wants your heart and he wants my heart. It's like he's he's saying those words to you, come away with me, my love. And now's a moment for us to respond, yes, yes, I will come to my God. And This is a moment maybe, you know, like the bride was expressing what she wanted to her groom. This is a moment to get raw, to get passionate, to get intimate and demanding in our desire for God. Tell him what you want. Tell him how you want him to draw close. She wants the kisses of her lover's mouth. What do you desire from God, the lover of your soul? We've got permission this morning. More than that, I'd say we're positively encouraged this morning to draw near. That's the word that Deb said at the end of the testimony. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Bring that proskuneo, lean into him. He wants to meet with you in a close and intimate way. Thanks for listening. To explore this sermon or learn more about our church, please navigate to the links provided in this podcast description. From there, you can connect with us on social media and you're welcome to check out the music links featured in this episode from our very own musicians. You can also discover current events and information about where we meet on Sundays and various groups or community projects that you can join in with. If you're interested in knowing more about us or wish to join us for one of our meetings, Please reach out. Simply drop us an email at hello at ccm.org.uk We look forward to connecting you.